Hello, good evening, and welcome. I'm Simon Bestwick. And I'm Gemma Files, and this, of course, is No Darkness But Ours. Okay, so uh, we were we were going to read yeah. a, a spooky story for Halloween. I think we both spooky had... A story for Halloween, just like last time. Absolutely. Well, it was, I think it was, yeah, it was Christmas last time. It seems... Oh, Right, we'll have to do another Christmas. We'll have to do another Christmas one, I think. You're right. Uh, you're right. You're right. It was Christmas, and uh, this time for Christmas, I'm not. I'm going to write something that's not Christmas based. <laughs> like it? Like what you're doing there? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So, what have you? You you may as well. Why don't you, you may as well start us off? Okay. Um, I think uh, so. I'm going to. Um, I'm going to do something that is kind of fun and because it's Halloween um, and hopefully kind of short. (laughs) Yes, 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 exactly. Um, So this is a piece that I wrote called Rebel Stoke, um, which is uh, which I wrote um, for a magazine of sword and sorcery. (laughs) So let's go for it. The owl died first, as always. This time, he rode his great armored destrier up the church steps and straight through the doors into a nest of pikes. He cut down half the company before keeling over, and his horse crushed the rest as it went down itself, rolling to maximize the damage. The pikesmen, thus caught, screamed out, seemingly as one, while their fellows scattered straight into the path of Rolf Guthumget's twin axes and Young Yan's battle hammer. Um... From atop a nearby hill, meanwhile, sorceress Therma, the noseless one, held fast and watched as was her wont, waiting until the lines of battle had fallen to chaos and the soldiers, at least half of them peasant levies, sad fools given spears, leather jacks, and a week's rough training, had been driven back into the church by her mates. Then she darted nimbly down to the threshold, almost dancing over the fallen, and began flinging lengths of shadow back and forth across the church's interior like waves, separating friend from friend or hiding foe from foe, so Rolf, Jan, and the others could do as much of their work as they thought, as they might beneath its cover. And all the while, Father Eckbert, the priest Bishop Avila, had sent along to make sure their oh-so-important mission went smoothly, younger even than Yan by Rolf's reckoning, thus making him barely past his full-grown ball hair, stood where she had on the hill, rooted like a rabbit and shivering, staring as if his eyes were fit to pop out any moment. Might be he's never seen blood before that one, Rolf muttered to Jan, cross-snipping the neck off one man, some brave fool who'd come running down the pews at them with a staff in both hands, screaming, between both axe blades, his head detached in a spout of blood to fall right at Rolf's feet, just within kicking range, even as Jan hooked yet another defender down with his hammerhead, slung sidelong before swinging it back up straight on to pulp the man's fallen skull. Jan shrugged. My bee's never seen magic used weaponish either, he said as pink-soaked bone and brains sprayed past his boots, dodging down the aisle to engage his next victim. Mm, Rolf agreed, sending his own dead foe's head off under a pew to smack juicily against the church wall and ricochet back out under the next pair's feet, tripping one to the knees before either even got within striking range. His loss? The church held a holy weapon and refused to render it up, 
at least according to Eckbert. Maybe a relic, Rolf thought, to be held high before armies are rubbed against weapons to increase their puissance. Not that he really believed in such things, given his gods versus the big C church's supposed one god, and not that it mattered much either way whether he did or no. He was here for payment, for revelry, for a chance at Valhalla, rather than Hell's Grim Hall. It was the owls struck their deals with Termas Council, and so long as Rolf emerged the richer in their battle's wake, he counted himself content. Christians were odd people, to say the least. Young Jan called himself a Christian too, of sorts, though not, however, one who bowed to authority such as Eckbert's or the bishop for whom he spokes. Rolf had never heard of such before, even folding in the strange fact that at the moment there were two churches, one Roman and one not, two emperors and three popes, all claiming to defend the self-same deity's sacred name from Constantinople to Avignon. Being from Bohemia originally, Jan should have been happy to fall beneath the Western emperor's jurisdiction and do his bidding, supposedly, just as Rolf himself had once aspired to join the Eastern emperor's Varingian guard. But that was against the boy's particular creed, apparently, which explained, no doubt, why they'd first come across him at the very bottom of a pile of corpses covered head to toe in blood. It was habit, among some of the company, to pick their way through battlefields after the rout was done, scouting for gear and weapons to replace their own or to sell for extra coin, depending on how many markets lay between them and mission's end. One, had it been Eve or Varger, had spotted Jan's hammer hilt, sticking out under somebody else's armpit and tried to wrench it out, only to recoil in horror as its true owner rose up snarling with a great carrion-scented heave, kicking his way free. Fucking ghost, Eve or Varger had shouted, a donkey's stupid bray. Not just yet, young Jan had replied, equally hoarse, if far sharper. Now come try it again and we'll see. They kill them all, the owl had asked Terma later on. She shook her head. Only most. Some of them must have died after he passed out. You would know, I suppose, Rolf said, to which she replied with a slight, sweet, wintry smile. I would, I suppose. An odd, tough little hedgehog of a thing young Jan had since proven and remained once the red had been washed away, at least old enough to go Viking, though he'd probably stay child-sized from now on by the measure of Rolf's own people. Now he stood with his hammer slung over one shoulder, watching Terma kneel upon the bloodied church steps to raise both the owl and his mount from their most recent grave flirtation, a sight most of the others preferred to look away from. You'll never seem to tire of it, Rolf commented. Mm, John agreed. Jan agreed. He, she only has the one real trick, but it's a good one. The owl gave a great wet gasp beneath his steel mask, shuddering head to toe before swiveling his head round to pin them with a visored gance. Gonna correct them or what? He asked Terma, who shrugged. What these two don't know is their own business, surely, she replied, stroking his horse's neck. If they refuse to educate themselves, that's hardly my affair. Hey, Rolf said. I'd have told him you had more than one. You'd only waited. Priest Eckbert watched as well, just as riveted, if far more disapproving. Does this happen all the time? He asked of no one in particular. More often than not, I, the owl said, rising. He tugged at his destrier's reins gently to bring it up on its own iron-shod hooves as well, grooning as he did. There you go, Alcus. Good lad. Yes, lovely. I was a good lich steed, eh? I wouldn't be much good if it didn't, Therma added. 
waspish. I suppose so, the priest said. Yet I'm surprised no one else here isn't more surprised. You, for example, here he nodded at Jan. That's a cross at your neck, isn't it? It is. He is a Hussite, though, Rolf put in helpfully. Believes in Christ, but also that the church should be overthrown. So he's obviously credulous. Jan turned to him annoyed. Remade that every man should be his own church, praying only to God and acting by his morals with no intervention. It isn't hard. Ah, but that sounds like a lot of work, Hammer. Jan snorted. It's not my fault you're lazy, he said and turned away. You see, father, the owl said, clapping Ackbert across the back. Nothing but heretics, killers, and witches here. Well, one witch. Therma took a brief, graceful bow. But that's what the bishop paid for, so if he didn't tell you that what you were getting into. No, he did. He did. Uh, I'll pray for you all, Lord Owl. How very nice of you, Therma murmured. I'm Christian as well, if you want that. I am glad to hear that, lady. Hmm. Rolf's hackles half lift, lifted at the undertones, watching priest and sorceress lock eyes the way wolf and sheepdog might size each other up at a distance. Was the fight worth the effort yet? Probably not, yet instinct, not always practical, clearly urged otherwise. His own bid him back quietly away, and while loyalty held him still, he couldn't help marking the distance to the doors. But... Lead on, priest, the owl commanded, just hard enough to break the tension, so Eckbert blinked and did. For all Rolf had grown up with magic as a casual fact, just one more thread of the gods' workings inherent in all things, seers and volvas, weird and drauger, Valkyries swooping down on blood-stained wings to catch up those slain in full battle fever, necromancy was one form of it that made his scalp stiffen. Terima laid men down and caught them back up again, with such creepish ease, puppeting them back into the fight like broke-jointed dolls when necessary, or pouring blood down their slack jaws and interrogating them when necessary. Could she see the lost souls dying away into the ground around them like marsh gas? I don't like that, he'd once muttered to himself on a bloody field outside Genoa, shortly after she'd first joined them. She'd been far distant questioning the briefly revived corpse of an enemy let lieutenant, lieutenant rather for the location of coin caches there'd be no possible way she could have heard him yet she'd paused glanced sidelong back in his direction and words had somehow whispered themselves into the drum of his ear now should you northman what made terma so awful to look upon now lay most definitely in the vestiges of her former beauty that marble skin and golden hair, those bright blue eyes, the mouth still so softly rose-red tinted, even beneath the raw-rimmed hole where her nose had once been, pink and wet and fluttering with every breath, a bone-set wound dripping bloody mucus onto the beautifully curved lips below. She grew too powerful, they said, amongst the other concubines, the owl had told Rolf, so they looked to destroy her currency with the emperor, never knowing where that power really came from to which Terma had simply nodded, as if to indicate she were happy enough to have since fallen in with men who knew her true worth. Couldn't you grow it back, though? Rolf asked her later, underneath his breath, only to draw a coolly scornful glance. Of course, with the red sacrifices, but why should I? Uh, convenience, Rolf suggested. Terma hadn't quite snorted in response, though her fair brows hiked, replying as she did, Men truly are such fools. An observance Rolf had made himself, certainly, enough times to agree on. 
she wants to be an object of terror, was the conclusion he'd reached eventually. Perhaps it seemed easier, given what being an object of desire had netted her previously. And there was no doubt that any magician not interested in submitting to ecclesiastical command did well to prove himself or herself frightening enough to discourage casual witch hunting. That the thaumaturges of churches and emperors had better targets in each other's nowadays only gave Terma all the more space to practice her arts, a state of affairs that seemed to suit her entirely, untroubled by her duty to or affection from any man except the owl himself. That might change one day, but Ralph felt no great urge to hurry it along. Even as they made their way through the forest, leaving the ruined church far behind, various members of the owl's company continued to study the thing Eckbert bore proudly on one arm with baffled wonderment. Even young Yan, for all his silence, seemed nonplussed enough. Rolf guessed he'd expected something far different. Uh, a sword, a chalice, a miraculously bleeding spearhead, or the like. But the thing the priest had extracted from its hiding place, a wicker-woven cage hidden in the very back of the rectory over which an altar cloth had been hastily thrown, was none of these. It was a bird, goose-sized, bright white, gawky-looking as a newborn foal, the thing's huge orange bills stuck out comically far, dangling a jowly pouch that rippled as it twisted its head back and forth to look around it like a wide-eyed child. It had already devoured enough dried fish to sustain one of their own men for two days. Rolf shook his head, not sure if he was disgusted or merely bemused. This, he said to no one in particular, must be the single most useless thing I've ever killed men over. Eckbert's mouth tightened. Be silent, Northman, he growled. You know nothing. This bird... Pelican, said Perma, polite enough almost to pass for helpfulness. Pelicanus, we call it in the east. Seabird catches fish in the flap beneath its beak, a common enough pest. On the coasts of Iberia, near Gibraltaric, it is a metaphor, Eckbert finished stiffly, for our mutual lord and savior. Hmm, like everything else you churchmen draw on walls then, said Jan. The owl glanced over his shoulder from where he rode at the company's head. It's a legitimate question though, father, he rumbled. His voice had almost lost the roughness of his temporary death. Never completely anymore, but that was another thing Rolf tried not to waste worry on. Exactly what is the bloody use of this thing? Now we've got it. Planning to shove that great beak in a, in a foe's eye? Eckbert colored. His grace the bishop believes it will help him fight the plague. The black plague? Termoth frowned. Not that plague, no. Then which? Jan pressed, apparently unable to keep his wise mouth shut. And how? Metaphorically? Strangely, Eckbert's flush had faded, even if he was disquieted by the questions, but he only shook his head. We must have faith, my son, he said. Jan opened his mouth, but caught the owl's warning glance and closed it. The pelican gave out a great honk into the paws as Ralph touched the handle of first one axe, then the other. That would do him well enough for faith, he decided. The village was halfway back to the Brandenburg border. They'd stayed in it on their way out to carry out the contract, but only for a lone and uneventful night. Eckbert's guarantee that its people were loyal to Bishop Avila had surprisingly paid out, so Rolf hadn't bothered remembering its name. Terma had probably mentioned it, he thought. It looked no different now as they rode down the gentle valley slope towards its houses, which was perhaps why they got as close as they did before anyone first sensed something wrong. 
Young Jan and Eve had taken lead as outriders, and it was Jan's upflung fist which stopped the company some three score yards from the first houses. The owl gestured Rolf and Terma to accompany him. Riding up to the scouts, to Rolf's annoyance, Eckbert hastened after on foot. Should stay with your bird, Peter, Rolf growled as Eckbert caught up with them. The priest gestured impatiently. It's safer in safe in its cage on the water cot. What's wrong? Have you seen something? He had good sense to keep his voice low, at least. It's not, it's what I'm not seeing, Jan shot back, voice equally low, or hearing. Where's the chimney smoke, Father Eckbert? Or, or a trace of any voices but our own? At this distance, we should have already drawn attention. Why, I... Eckbert blinked, mouth open. Now Rolf saw it too. The houses and outbuildings looked just as they had, but not a single plume of smoke trailed skyward anywhere. No human shapes moved between the walls. The only noises were those of the woodland. And even those, now that he listened, were fading, as if every bird and creature in the forest all around had decided at the same moment to go fleeing headlong for no reason at all. Eve muttered an oath. Terma swallowed, visibly, and Rolf found this the most off-putting thing of all, somehow. He unslung his axes. The owl seemed no less relaxed than ever, but tacked but tapped the horn, the horn of Orcus's saddle with one gauntleted finger. Can we backtrack? Take a different route to the Boda? Jan growled in, growled in his throat. Tricky without a guide, and we'll be living off the land or going to starvation rations. That's if we don't run afoul of some other local noble's guards. He rubbed his chin. On the other hand, if it's as empty as it looks, then no one's to mind us commandeering shelter. Or supplies. Eve put in. Varger had gone trailing behind, back past the cart. Rolf thought he was hunting for mushrooms in and amongst the tree roots. Depends why it's empty, they all said. Be more damaged if they've fled brigands. If it's plague, on the other hand, Egbert sh shook his head. We'd smell bodies from here where plague. Perhaps my lord bishop was betrayed and his people taken? If so, we should retreat now before anyone. From the cart far behind, the pelican gave out with a great wailing bell that echoed up and down the valley. Eckbert yelped, Rolf almost dropped his left-hand axe, and Terma jumped, then hissed a curse under her breath. Even Yan started. Only the owl didn't move. Well, he said, that expedites matters. Rolf, Terma, father, step back to the rest. Tell them reverse face, pick up our stragglers, canter a quick march back to the valley entrance. Yan, Eves, and you'll stand watch until they're clear, and then he stopped. Then, with a lightning-swift metallic flicker, his great war sword was drawn. Old. Stand fast. A lone figure was moving down the path towards them. Rolf recognized the green cloak and bulging stomach from when they'd gone through the other way. It was the town's innkeep, a fat man, who'd tried to cover his fear of the owl's company with mediocre ale and worse jokes. He was stumbling now. For a, man, for a moment, Rolf thought that it was the same nervousness until he was close enough to see that the, he was close enough that the Northman could see how the man's ankles bent sideways with every step, like Jan had hammered them to ruin. And though the man's hood was drawn far forward and down, hiding all but his mouth and bearded chin, something still seemed very wrong about it. Cold crawled down Rolf's arms. He hadn't felt goose flesh before battle in years. Without warning, the owl spurred Orcus forward. Oh, good man, the captain called. What news in Revelstoke? Revelstoke. Ah, that was the name. But he didn't pause or give the man time to answer because in the next instant, Orcus was upon him. 
The owl's gauntlet shooting out to rip the cloak from the man's shoulders as he rode by. The man reared back, hands held to a face which, for the briefest of moments, seemed normal. And then the hands fell, and Rolf saw the features all twisted and bent like a wet clay mask pulled out of shape before it hardened. Wotan's balls, he spat, even as Eckbert yelled out, Sweet Christ! With near exactly the same intonation, Terma choked off what might have been a laugh, hissing instead. The man reached up into his hair and wrenched. His face slid upwards and off, collapsing. A mummer's mask made from human hide. He flung it to the earth, reared back, and brayed. A hideous, monstrous, echoing sound, like a howl ripped out of hell. But only what one would ex expect from the head now revealed. Huge, misshapen, with a great domed forehead and horns like a goat's. Its red eyes glared at them with pupils angular as lead ingots. It tore away its tunic and with hands edged in jagged, hoof-like talons, then charged at them head down. Father Eckbert flung himself backwards and tripped, falling flat on the ground, which most likely saved his life. It also gave Rolf room to swing both axes hard. With unbelievable speed, however, the thing dodged one blade and caught the other in one hand, hoof-edged talons stopping the steel blade, cold as wood, and armor and bone all failed to do in their time. Uh, Rolf gaped and would have met his own end there if Jan hadn't swung his hammer sideways and knocked it backwards. Its chest collapsed with an audible crunch of bone, a killing blow for anything human, but the creature only tumbled over, climbed back upright, and bolted towards Terma instead. Wide-eyed, the witch raised her hand with not nearly enough time to cast whatever spell she had in mind. Hooves thundered. Orcus swept past Terma, the owl leaning sidelong to catch the thing's neck with his sword just as those killing claws were inches from Terma's throat. The monstrous head went flying, and the body skidded forward and crumpled. From out of the severed neck burst a horrid, squelching flood of slimy vermin, worms, insects, leeches, maggots, flooding the ground in a rancid, viscous pool. Rolf staggered back, coughing at the stench. Jan gaped, stunned outright wordless for the first time the Northman could ever remember. Eckbert managed to pushed himself up to his hands and knees and saw the corpse and the vermin and promptly spun away again to vomit. The owl cantered back, wiping his blade on the saddlecloth. At least, he, he observed dryly within his helmet, we know it's not the plague now. No, said Yan, it's worse, he pointed. There was still next to no noise about it. That was the most terrifying thing, at least until Rolf made out what was left of the faces on the crowd shambling towards them. Strips of bloody flesh dangled like Mayfair ribbons from ravaged skulls. Eyes were gone, worms writhing in their sockets. Lips had been sliced to mush or altogether off, leaving bare bloody teeth to champ on beetles skittering between. Grubs and maggots poked out of naked nostrils, green with dirt. Vermin dropped to the earth with every corpse's stumbling step. Rolf couldn't recall a single name, but he recognized clothes, tools, bodies by their shape. One girl, he thought, might be the tavern maid who'd warmed his bed the night they'd stayed. Half her face had been flayed off, perfectly half. A vertical line between winsome features and crimson death's head, sharp as a sword-edged mirror shard. Nearly a hundred of the things, slow as they moved, Rolf knew, that if they took that if they each took as much time and effort killing as their as their leader had, there was little hope. Throger! He he shouted, Terma, cast them back down. The witch snarled, Fool, do these look like my work? She he she gestured at the approaching mob. I'm as helpless as you against this, you great oaf. What? Rolf's brow fur furrowed. It's magic makes the dead walk. 
How is that not your art? Oh, you idiot. I have no time to explain the difference between necromancy and goity, Terma cried. These are damn enraged, ruled by some unholy power. Ask the priest. She rounded on Eppert, who was stumbling backwards, face pale as milk. Invoke dog's name, fool. Do your duty. Exorcise them. Eckbert stared at her, eyes bulging. The owl sighed. Might take more time than we have, eh? But beheading works. What else, lady? Arrows through the heart? Tarama shook herself back to, to something like calm. No, these are not Rekokokalakoi. I would sense it. Just strike them down and lop their limbs, behead them or burn them if you can. Do not let them bite you. I hadn't thought to. The captain raised his death rough voice, bellowing orders. Archers, fall back to the train. Ready fire pots for burning missiles. Crossbowmen, sling bows, draw swords. All arms form up on me, charging wedge. Cavalry front, footmen behind. As the rest scrambled to obey, the owl turned to Terma. Take the priest back to his bird. If you or he can think of an arcane solution, deploy it. Otherwise, be ready to charge through and flee when you see a chance to do so. Without you? Terma stared wide-eyed. For the first time since Rolf had known her, he saw something of the girl she must have once been. The owl didn't lift his visor or reach out his hand, but his answer was as close to a gentle one as Rolf had ever heard him give. The company keeps its contracts, he said. I keep my contracts. You help keep me. Help me keep them. Help me keep them now. Terma inhaled again, a bit more wetly, and nodded. The owl whirled Orcus about and rode to the head of a forming wedge. Rolf and Yan fell in, fell in together on the first rank, behind the riders. Nine horse, 17 foot, Rolf counted automatically. Bad odds, even with battle fever already missing his brain. He was barely aware of Terma dragging Eckbert away. As if from a great distance, he heard the owl shouting, Strike to dismember! Do not grapple! Keep free at all costs! Archers, are the fire shots ready? Loose do you run dry! With a great hissing roar, a hail of burning clothyard shafts flashed up and fell, trailing flames into the swarming dead, thumping home in breast and gut and eye socket. It would have decimated the villagers in seconds had they still been living mortals, but none did more than stagger. And Rolf swore on his, under his breath to see most of the flames hiss and go out within moments. The corpses were too slim, slimy with decay to catch a light. The, owls raised, the owl raised his sword, swept it le sharply left and right. Arches cease, then spun it above his head, leveled it of the revenants and bellowed, charge! And that brought the battle fever on in full. Time stopped then, as it always did for Rolf. He roared without words, knowing well how neither the Allfather nor the Thunderer needed them and sprinted after the horse's axes swinging. At first, it seemed ridiculously easy. The corpse things were slow and heedless of defense knocked backwards as effortlessly as one might children. Indeed, some of them were children, but they did not stay down once toppled, crawling forward even on smashed joints. And unless you were skilled or lucky enough to take their head completely off in one strike, they simply did not stop. When Rolf saved, saw Eves use the same killing strike the Frenchman had used on a half a hundred foes, shoved one arm aside, whirled in past the other, drive his, drive his mangosh up under the chin, he had less than a second of gut-wrenching chill to grasp his sword brother's fatal mistake, utterly disdaining the dagger strike. The draug jerked Eve in tight to itself with its free arm and bit his face off. The horses went down one by one. 
taking at least two of their riders into death with them, while others fought clear only to collapse as rotting bodies leapt onto them. Orcus's charge had gotten the wedge almost to the edge of their foes, but even the lich steed could not resist those tearing, gnashing, grasping things for long. As Orcus came apart, every mighty leg turned off, torn off like a spider's in a bored child's hands. The owl rolled free and fell and up on his back. Fall back, he roared. Defensive ring, two ranks, count 30, then charge. With the distant part of his mind to which such things still mattered. Rolf thought to himself quite calmly, that's it then. The defensive ring could hold off encirclement for a time, but not forever, not when no relief was coming. And that was against living foes. They were down to maybe 16 now, against near four score revenants still clawing at them, creatures whose morale would never break, whose endurance would never give out. At the owl's command, the outer ring fell back to the rest to rest while the inner ring stepped forward to take up the fight. Gasping, Rolf glanced sideways to see Jan leaning on his hammer beside him, gut heaving like a bellows. The boy looked back and amazingly enough managed something like a smile. If you live to carve my gravestone, he said, I should probably tell you my father's name. Horribly, he didn't even need to raise his voice. Rolf realized with awe, almost with awe, how quiet the battle had become, the dead silent as ever. The living were too jealous of breath now to waste it. Only the sound of steel biting carrion flesh with grunts of effort marked the air. Rolf forced his own voice to feign nonchalance, all mock, mock seriousness. Oh, Jan, right? Seeing how every other bastard in Bohemia is called Jan? I'm no bastard. Should probably change your name then. Listen, Northman. No point, Hammer, I can't write anyhow. You'd have done better to ask the witch. God damn it, Jan laughed breathlessly, even as Varger screamed his death agony behind them. The rings shrank by one, closing the gap. I should have known. All Vikings are nothing but shaved bears given boots and taught to walk upright. Oh-ho, Vikings a thing you do, Hedgehog, not something you are. I will beat you like a cur if I have to to make you remember. You can try. The owl voice a dry, a dry growl. Gentles, please, save it for after. Gentles, Gian repeated, raising a brow. Rolf laughed. This would be a good way to die, not that he was looking forward to it. Without warning, a freezing wind swept over the battle, cold enough to bite Rolf's skin like the breath of the Jotnar. For the first time, the dead things slowed as if uncertain. The sounds of battle ceased, blades falling still, a moment of true silence. And then, with the splintering crack of bones snapping back together, suddenly their own dead lunged back upright. Cold blue fire burned in Eve's eyeless skull. Varger snarled over the ripped-out red ruin of his throat. Rolf jerked his head up to see Terma standing atop the cart, her hands held high like a puppeteer's. Before her, Eckbert held up his cross with a frantic prayer, eyes closed, warding off the circle of the dead surrounding them. The white bird flailed black and back and forth in its cage, squawking in terror. But was that fear or something else? Who knows how birds think, Rolf asked himself, and took advantage of the company's replenishment to lunge forward, cleaving one more drowg's head in half down to its collarbones. The axe lodged fast, yet he was able to use it to shove the, car the carcass sideways, blocking Jan's current foe. The hammer shot him a nod of thanks and crushed his opponent's skull. That's one way to make a shield wall, he told Rolf, who barely had any time to grin before the next assault. So many by Thor. He hadn't thought the village so populous, but then half must be from the graveyard, yes? More than half. Burn your dead like normal people, Rolf wanted to yell. But the words choked in his mouth, already dry from stench, and blood was in his eyes. 
He heard the goat daemon ululating from somewhere. That same awful bray, on and on and on. Terma was already struggling. Her focus split between corpses. Rolf saw her reel back as the goat's severed head rose up towards her, levitating, scarlet lightning wreathing its horn-set brow in an inverse halo. When Eckbert threw his cross at it like a dagger, the Christ sign stuck in its slack, airy cheek, as if red-hot, raising a mass of blistered flesh. The goat daemon simply giggled, undeterred. Jan's ham hammer was clogged with rotten flesh, its hits increasingly muffled. Rolf had broken his right-hand axe, leaving the other in some horror's ribcage. Dead hands tore at the owl from behind, trying to lift his helm. Rolf had never seen him without it and didn't want to. Then, with a sudden giant crack, the pelican's cage split apart. The supposedly holy bird dived upwards, even as that floating head swooped down, its beak yawning open, ridiculous dangling neck pouch gaping wide. Shielding priest and necromancer alike from the tittering, power-leaking mass of daemon-possessed flesh. Intent on doing them harm, the pelican clamped down tightly, hooked beak tearing right through the goat daemon's skull, crushing it like some huge, fungus-infested grape. Gore blasted wetly to either side. The daemon's power garland went out all at once, a snuff candle. The pelican gave a great gulp, disposing of the rest, and went higher still. High enough, it probably had the best view of this obscene battlefield possible. The last of the sun caught its bright white feathers, making them flare with blinding gold. Then it dipped its head once more sidelong and used that same deadly hook to rip its own breast open, spraying blood onto everything below, dead and living, possessed or not, all of them locked in combat, all of them abruptly drenched in the same gay hue, dyed the color of Jesus's own divine wounds. How could one bird hold so much blood in it, no matter how big? Rolf wondered dimly, slipping to his knees in the butcher shop mud. The corpses were going down too, coming apart in segments, their various vermin fleeing like rats afraid to drown. Whatever evil moved them had been extinguished, or maybe vanished. Rolf couldn't claim to know how such things worked, grateful though he might be that they obviously did. Christ, Jan said, beside him, equally exhausted, then added, elbowing Rolf in the ribs, you see, Northman, it is holy and a weapon. Seems like a priest really did speak true for once. <sighs> Rolf agreed, barely able to raise his head. The pelican came back down dead, which was a bit of a problem, but only for so long. The owl came stomping up, doubtless surprised to find himself in no immediate need of Terma's services for once. Nice to see that bird of yours knew what best to do, even, even if you didn't, he told Eckbert grumpily. So where is it, anyhow? It did its duty, Eckbert replied unhelpfully. Well, yeah, but the bishop still wants it, I assume. He turned as a young pikesman approached, gingerly toting the pelican's bloodless body by one great wing. Oh, God shit on it. Now no one's getting paid. Terma brushed past him, fluttering her fingers peremptorily his, his way as she did, as if shooing chickens. Give it here, she ordered the squire, and stroked one palm down the dead thing's wound, which sealed itself back together almost immediately, then added, beckoning to Eckbert, Now you, father. Eckbert balked. Now me what? Pray over it, of course. Remind it what it is. Oh, yes, absolutely. As Eckbert sat, set to his vocation with shut eyes, murmuring a string of hushed and reverent Latin, Rolf watched Perma's fingers flick through a very familiar series of motions, shedding blue sparks. The owl must have noticed as well, since he bent to her ear and whispered, 
do you do? Well, I suspect, Terra nodded. Now they'll have to keep on paying us if they want their holy weapon at its best. You're a bloody genius woman. She smiled her strangely lovely smile as if to say, I know. The bird stirred and righted itself, tucking its wings away. A miracle, Eckford announced, lifting his hands in praise, to which the owl's company, which what was left of it, raised a weary cheer. Later, as they marched on, young Jan turned to Rolf. Tell me this village's name so I can avoid it from now on. Uh, Revelstoke, I think, or something like. Revelstoke, Jan repeated. Let's not return, which luckily enough, they never did. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to cackle at one point because we realized when he called him Hammer, just for Jan yeah. Hammer. Yep, Jan Hammer. <laughs> Jan the Hammer. <laughs> is this a, is this connected to you? This novel you've been working on in Red Company. Um, only in that it was it helped me to um, figure out how to use uh, the la the language uh, a bit more, um, like you know the way that i did in the hexlinger yeah. series so um i think i think it's going to be useful i think it's going to be yeah. very useful oh, i absolutely <laughs> love it <laughs> i love these i love those characters <laughs> i love those characters too i don't yeah who knows maybe they will show up it would be pretty funny. excellent excellent <laughs> the, yeah the bishop will, there's, there's, there's more to be done with those guys <laughs> well follow that best Rick. um well, my own piece is another one of those little sort of short verse stories that um, that I do from time to time, um, and uh, which I think is fun. I think it's nice to have a little sort of brief kind of coda to close out the uh, the ghost story session. Yeah, <laughs> so it was a lot gorier and a lot longer than I remembered it being. <laughs> yeah, that was gory. That was brilliantly gory. Uh, so that's Revelstoke by Gemma Files, and I don't think it's a uh, and it's currently unpublished. So any any editors out there who heard that and like it? Uh, so... No, 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 no. It is, it is promised. Oh, it, um, is promised. it is promised, and I believe it actually has been published, although I have not gotten a copy of it. Right, right. Well, we, well, look forward to look forward to seeing that one in print. Uh, definitely, and look, hopefully, look forward to seeing some more uh, more adventures of Rolf the Owl and Jan Hammer, Jan the Hammer, sorry. <laughs> Jan the Hammer, and Terma, Terma the Noseless One. Terma, the, the knows this one, yeah. Somehow I found her kind of hot, despite the... <laughs> despite no nose. Oh, it's an extra hole. Anyway. Uh... Yes, I went there. Um... <laughs> Two. Two extra holes. Oh, true, true. So uh, that noise you can hear, it's the, once again, it's the tone of the conversation dragging along the... <laughs> so, um... <laughs> here is uh, my little... Uh, much shorter <laughs> piece, uh, which is called Whaleback. Whaleback barges? Yes, I remember them. They didn't build many. A dozen, maybe twenty, to work the Great Lakes. Their decks were curved instead of flat, hence the name. I don't recall the reasoning behind the design. Maybe their makers simply wanted their creations to resemble the great leviathans, surfacing briefly to wallow in the sea. They always put me in mind of submarines, similarly at rest before they dived. They're all gone now, of course. Nobody makes them anymore. They've all been sunk or broken up for scrap, 
except one, I think, which sits forever safe in dock, a museum ship, a floating testament to an idea that went nowhere. I have a story about a whale back, if you're interested. It's not my own, I should tell you now. I heard it second-hand from an old man, a fisherman from a quiet stretch of coast, and one of the volunteers who crewed the local lifeboat. And yes, I know what seamen's stories are like, how much salt to take them with. But nonetheless, there was something about his account, the way he'd told it, that inclined me to believe him, and made me glad that the furthest out to sea I'd ever gone was swimming off a beach, or taking the cross-channel ferry now and then. And I'm not sure now I'd still do that. The old man told me this. Some whalebacks were converted into seafaring ships, the Great Lakes, after all, can get as rough as any ocean, and one of them was off his coast when a storm hit. The lifeboat rushed out at the first distress flare, but found only the bow still above the waves, and in minutes it slipped from sight, the leviathan diving down back into the dark, taking its crew with it. Only one man lived, half dead from cold and drowning. The sea did not give up its dead. Only a nameless torso washed ashore a fortnight later, severed cleanly at the waist, the propeller screws, they said. Nothing else came in from the sea for a month after the sinking except a minor curiosity. Hermit crabs, hundreds of them, never seen previously on those shores, crawling along the tideline in their stolen shells. They never found out why it sank, it was a gentle coast, devoid of rocks and shoals. At worst, the ship should have been driven ashore and beached. The survivor could tell them nothing. One moment all was running smooth. The next there'd been an impact and a savage, rending blow that felt as though the ship's guts had been torn out. Beyond that, he could say no more. He'd been on deck, else he'd have drowned with the rest. Time passed. The dead were mourned and then forgotten. The sea lay smooth, the whaleback hidden beneath. The water kept its secrets. A few years later, hard times came. Their nets were empty, and prices so low it was hardly worth fishing anyway. Desperate to pay the rent, someone thought of the whaleback down at the bottom of the bay, a tidy sum in salvage. A boat was hired. Diving suits, compressors. One diver was the old man. He was younger then. He went down with four others. He noted, puzzled, how the ship seemed whole, and yet the seafloor all around was littered still with wreckage, like the, rem like the remnants of another ship, older than the whaleback. Its fragments worn wafer thin, a brittle shell of rust. The whaleback lay nearby its curved deck facing them. Then it rolled. There was terror, confusion, clouds of silt. Only the old man came back up. When the ship rolled, he told me, seemingly without cause because nothing had disturbed it. He saw, before the silt hid everything, that the whaleback's hull had been split open stem to stern, and from that slit curved long, thin, segmented legs, and reaching out, a single giant claw. 
They never found the others. Only pieces severed cleanly. As if by propeller blades. Nor did they find the whale back when they thought to look again. Only great tracks in the silt. Leading out to sea. A seaman's tail, of course. A yarn and nothing more. But still, on nights like this, when there are storms, I'm glad that the furthest out to sea I've ever gone is swimming off a beach, or taking the cross-channel ferry now and then. And I'm not sure now if I'd still do that. I love it. <laughs> I need to do. I need to do some more of them. It's just the there's been so much. No, there's been so much work to do on novels lately that uh, yeah, absolutely. Hard to get, get any get any headspace for other projects. Giant hermit crabs. <laughs> I love it. The <laughs> guy and Smith. <laughs> okay. Oh, so, yeah. Happy yeah. Halloween to all our viewers and listeners there. And I hope you enjoyed those two eerie stories. Um, we will be back soon to lower the tone again and to talk about horror and related things. Exactly. And until then, I have been Simon Bestwick. I remain Gemma Files, and this, of course, has been No Darkness. Darkness. But Darkness. ours. <laughs> 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 Yes. <laughs>